Belief, belief is a powerful thing, is it not? I mean, anybody who's trying to do anything is better off if you have the ability to believe. And us as Christians, we use words like belief and faith. And when you think about it, those are probably the, the mo- a couple of the most powerful words that we can activate in our life. We're always going to be better off when we have a high level of faith and we can believe in something bigger than ourselves like the God that we serve. And last week, I spoke a message titled, Running on Empty. And really, in in some ways, I didn't think about it this way until right now, but but this message is a little bit of a, uh, not an extension, but, but when we're running on empty, before you can really do anything else, you have to have the power of belief right? You have to have faith at an all-time high to be able to get your life in order. And quite frankly, those words belief and faith, and the Bible will tell you this, that it's really impossible to be all that God's called you to be without faith. We have to be able to believe. In Mark 5, 36, Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. And I think sometimes, even though this is such a simple concept, we have a hard time thinking that we actually have the ability to believe, or that we have the ability, really, when it counts to have faith. Because we say things like, man, I just don't know if I can believe anymore. I'm just not sure if I can believe for that big a thing. Boy, I wish my faith was as strong as yours is. Boy, I wish... I had faith to go through this one other time. Anybody ever say that or, or think that? You think like you can't do it. And I'm going to submit to you right now that, that you, you can do it. It's not, it's, it's not a problem. You have the ability to believe. And I'll give you an example. When you go on vacation, when you go on vacation, you have the ability to believe because you're going on vacation. And just the simple fact that you're going on vacation, for the most, most of us, we've made up our mind ahead of time, but boy, on that vacation, everything is going to be perfect. When our, kid, when our kids were little, we'd go to uh, Disneyland multiple times, and right, if you've ever been to Disneyland, it's the most magical place on earth, right? And you walk around, and you're, you're, you're surrounded by Mickey Mouse and princesses and all this other stuff, and you, you're a little kid, you, you think you died and went to heaven. But no matter what your vacation is, whether you're at the beach, the mountains, Disneyland, Disney World, wherever, for the most part, everything's perfect. Because you have the power to believe. And it's usually the case because before you get there, you're dreaming of vacation, right? I mean, I'll be the first to admit, we went to vacation the first week of June, I think it was, so that was, you know, not very long ago. So I'm dreaming about vacation, you know, a year from now, next summer, right? But we go on these vacations and everything's perfect. And everything appears to be free because we probably prepaid for it. But you get there, wherever you're at, and the, the, the sun is shining brighter, the weather's nicer, your kids are behaving your marriage is perfect. 
that job you left is just great? And why is that? Because you have the power to believe in something. Now, it's superficial things. I get it. But still, I'm just proving to you that in your mind, when you say you can't believe for something or you can't, you can't have faith for something, you in fact can do it. There's just only, a certain, there's only certain circumstances where you'd like to do that. But when we do that, we have this uplifting belief that everything's going to be okay. And then we're there for six, seven days, we're there for a week, or in Matt's case, like 30. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And it, you're there for a week and it's over. And then you're back home and now you have no money. Your bills piled up and you forgot about all your bills when you were gone. Your kids don't listen to you anymore. Your wife doesn't like you. And on Monday, you have to go get up and go to that dead-end job that you're dreading. That's what happens, right? But what happened from when you were on vacation to real life? You lost the power to believe. And the title of my message tonight is The Power of Believing. The Power of Believing. And you might say, oh, that's not really that big a deal. But I would tell you that there's a theme. There's many themes, but in context of what I'm talking about tonight, there's a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it starts in the Old Testament, it's woven through most of the books of the Bible, and it ends in the New Testament, and that theme is the power of believing, and the power that your life will have when you have faith in the almighty Christ, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Can you imagine, can you imagine for a second, living life? Always believing? Can you imagine, even in your darkest hour, living a life that you were always filled enough to, with faith that you know that God is choosing you even on, in your desperate hour? Can you imagine living a life where you're always faith-filled? And here's a question that I, from time to time, I ask myself when I'm facing something or I think, God's called me to do something that's too big or maybe it shouldn't be it should be for somebody else. I think to myself, do I really believe? Do I really believe that God is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do in my life. Now most of us would think all of those things are true in the world that we live in. God is who he says he is. He's going to do what he says he's going to do in the larger, broader world. But you need to take those statements personal. Do I believe that the King of kings and Lord of lords has the power in my life to do what he says in this book? We can control what we believe and what we do not believe. If you have your Bibles here tonight or your Bible on your phone, you can turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, starting in verse 6. But let him ask 
in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Man, sometimes when I read that, you know what I think? I think, "Uh uh-oh, I've got some work to do. Because if I'm not living my life in what I have just said previously, really believing in who God says he is, what does it say that I am? I'm a double-minded man, unstable in all of my ways. Let us pray. Father, Lord, I just thank you for visiting with us here tonight. Lord, I I just pray as we share your word together, Lord, that we will have an encounter with you that would radically change our life. Lord, that we would come in here tonight one way and we would leave a totally changed, refreshed, on-fire person. In your name we pray, amen. So I'm gonna talk about Three things, three things in your life that you can take charge of that will lead you to the power of believing. Number one, the first thing you can take charge of is your reasoning, your reasoning. You can take charge of your mind. Listen, if you don't know this, your mind is the most powerful asset you will ever have. It is also, on the flip side of that, it can be the most destructive force that you'll ever encounter. And we, most of us know this from from life experiences. If we're not thinking right, our mind can play tricks on us like you wouldn't believe. We have the power to control our reasoning. Just think of my little silly vacation example. So if you're with me on that and on vacation you think that everything's perfect and everything's fine and then you come back and you're back to this mediocre life, well, well, when you were on vacation, when everything was great, what changed? Nothing changed. Nothing changed except your mind and your outlook on life. Your job didn't change. Your career didn't change. Your relationships didn't change. Your marriage didn't change. Your your personality didn't change. Your skill set didn't change. Nothing changed. Nothing changed except right here between the ears that you suddenly had the power of believing in something. And then we get back to our normal lives, and we have these limiting beliefs. We have these limiting beliefs that creep in. And not only does when we limit our beliefs, what happens? It limits who God is in our lives. It limits God's ability to work in our lives. And those are caused by many things. Some of the most common ones are fear, that I'm never going to measure up, I'm not good enough, unbelief, that I don't really believe in God, and many times just disobedience. When God tells me to do something, I don't do it. Those are all things that create unlimiting beliefs. John 20, 29 says, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We talked about this a little bit last week. Can we believe in God when nothing's happening? Can we have faith in God when nothing's happening, and we, but we know that he's always working behind the scenes in our lives? This is why Jesus speaks of the renewing of our minds in such a powerful way. One of the most famous verses, Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our limiting beliefs hold us down. And most of them just exist in our mind. I'm not good enough. I'm not, I don't have enough money. I'm never going to measure up. I'm not smart enough. I'm never going to believe. For you men out there, I've had this, I've had this conversation throughout the years with, with men numerous times. And, and this is, they'll say, well, I have trouble coming to church to worship. And, and I have trouble lifting my hands and really surrendering. And I say, well, well, why do, you have, why do you have trouble lifting your hands in worship? Well, everybody's looking at me. Well, guys, I got, I got news for you. There ain't nobody looking at you. There ain't nobody looking at you. But again, I get, again it's a funny example that, that I've heard time and time again. That it's a limiting belief. that doesn't do us any good. And these barriers, they exist in our mind. And we can control what comes in our mind. We, can, we have to be almost a, a staunch defender of what gets into our mind and what does not get into our mind. Because that, that's how we end up that way. And a great way to take control of your mind is control the input. We always want to control the output. Well, how come, I'm, how come I'm not filled with faith? How come God doesn't speak to me? How come I'm not super spiritual? How come I'm not doing this, I'm doing that? Well, probably it has nothing to do with your output. It's your input. And we think the things that we do on a day-to-day basis, they don't matter. I'm telling you what, they matter. The, the things you watch on TV, the things you listen to, the things you listen to on the radio, the, the people the people you listen to. I tell my kids this all the time. You, you had to be careful who you listen to. And, and, I, and I've, as I get older, I get more like, I don't know, there's certain things I believe in, and like I like double down on them. And that just happens to be one of them. But on the, on the, on the, the, the listening part, I'm, I, I recently have changed. It's like, st- you don't even have to listen, but watch them live their life. Watch people live their life. What's the fruit of their life look like? I hate to say it this way, but like if the fruit of their life is bad, I probably wouldn't listen to them. Because if you listen to them, what what do you think the input's going to be? Bad fruit. It's biblical, right? It's sowing and reaping and seed time and harvest. My daughter grows tomatoes in the backyard. 
We get tomatoes. Guess what she plants? Tomatoes. <laughs> she's done this for numerous years. I've, th- this has never happened where she's planted tomatoes and asparagus has come up. Right? But how many times, I know this is funny, but how many times do we do this in our lives? Right? Boy, God never speaks to me. God never speaks to me. Well, when's the last time you've spoken to him? Well, never. I told you last week my spiritual gift was common sense. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) sorry, I just can't get away with it. I tell my wife all the time when we're dealing with stuff, like, two plus two is always four. It's always four. Two plus two is never three. It's never five, right? You talk to people, and they want things to change. No, two plus two is always four. It's a universal truth. It doesn't matter what you believe. It's still true. Thank you, sweetheart. I better get back to the Bible. (laughs) But we serve a big God. Somebody say big God. Amen. Genesis 15. God's covenant with Abram. Verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless in the heir of my house as leader of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So your, so your descendants shall be. In these verses... God basically comes out of nowhere to an old man and his wife who's wanting to have kids, but they're old. But God comes to him and basically he says, you're going to have a child. What is Abram's reasoning? What's his mind telling him? Now, if I was him, my mind would be saying, this is totally ridiculous. Right? And you'd say the same thing. Don't laugh at me. You'd be saying, You're, this is totally ridiculous. Do you know how old I am? I am way past being able to have a child. And oh, by the way, have you seen my wife? <laughs> hey, I told you Matt will be back next week. <laughs> At this rate, I may not be. (laughs) But he probably says, hey, have you seen my wife? Do you know how she's well past her childbearing years? I mean, she's got a great personality and all, but she's probably not in any position to have a child. I'm just filling in the blanks. But here's what he says. Here's what Abram says. After all that, 
And you have to, you'd have to admit, at face value, it sounds ridiculous, right? But God. But I just told you probably the attitude I would take. But here's what Abram said. He says in verse 6, and he believed the Lord. That was it. He believed the Lord. He didn't go to 12 friends. He didn't call the prayer partner. He didn't have a time of worship. He had an encounter with God. And what did he do? He believed. How many times does that happen to us when God finally speaks to us and he's looking for an answer and we don't believe? And we say, hey, I didn't believe because it didn't make sense. Well, I'm telling you, and I'm telling you, and I can prove this with examples and after example after example from my life, that most of the time when God speaks to you, it doesn't make sense. That's why we have to have the power to believe, the power to have faith. Because remember, he is a limitless God. And if you believe he's a limitless God, that means there's going to be limitless opportunities and things for him to do in your life. 1 Kings 8 and 27 says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. Psalm 78, 41. Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Our reasoning in our mind should be, wow, I serve a limitless God. What can be possible? And I believe I've had the ability to do awesome things in my life. And God's going to do awesome things through me still, me and my family and my wife. And I'll tell you this, if you knew how ordinary, ordinary of a person that I am, you'd be shocked. You'd probably leave right now. The only reason you're staying here right now is because I already told you Matt's coming back next week, so you're going <laughs> to hang around. But God takes ordinary people, and he does supernatural, super ordinary things all the time. Number two, the second thing you can take charge of that leads to the power of believing is your reality, your reality. You can control your reality. You say, huh? Here's, what's, here's, here's what I believe you do. The first thing you have to do is you have to define your reality. You have to start from the point of truth. Where are you with God? What do you think God's saying to you? How big do you think your God is? Do you really think that God is who he says he is? Do you really believe this book and these promises are for you? We have to define our situation. Hey, do I believe? 
Or do I not believe? Where am I? And we have to know what that means. Sometimes we say we have faith, but we don't have faith. It's easy to come to church and act like we have faith. And we say things like, well, it, it could always get worse. There's a lot of people out there that are a lot worse off than me. Now, I don't know about you. That doesn't sound like faith. And I don't see anywhere in my Bible that thinking, well, it's not as bad as I thought. It's scriptural. But we all we do that, right? I do that too. I'm not I'm, I'm preaching to myself. Right? You might be a, a salesperson in here thinking, boy, my sales been terrible, but hey, boy, it could always be worse. Boy, at least this month, this month was terrible, but last month was a disaster. Well, you can say all that. And you can act like that's believing in a better preferred future, but that's not going to help you sell anything. You hear kids sometimes say, boy, I just, I'm no good at math or whatever, whatever. So I'm no good at math because I flunked a math test. You have no idea whether you're good at math or not because you didn't study. Or you say, and this one might hit a little close to home, but I'm already in trouble, so I might as well go for it. <laughs> you say, boy, I'm just, my, my finances are a mess. I, I'm no good with money. It could always be worth, I got a little bit. Well, how about, first of all, that's not faith. But how about maybe spending less money than you have in your pocket? I'm telling you, that, that'll work. You, you, you'll suddenly be a financial genius. Right? Or like, you're, you're trying to lose a few pounds. And you say, well, I just can't do it. I know, sorry. <laughs> you see... You say, well, I, I've been trying, I, I'm just big boned. <laughs> maybe, maybe you are, I don't know. <laughs> or you say, somebody's getting some of this, I know, I know, I know. Or you say, I just, I just have low metabolism. Does, does, does anybody... Does anybody actually know if they have low metabolism? No one knows. No one knows. Oh, boy. Maybe we should just worship, Pastor Guy. You think that? <laughs> well, if you don't see me next week, you'll probably know why. But here, here's the reality, <laughs> on a serious note, here's how we have to define the reality of our lives. Do we believe in the King of kings and the Lord of lords, or do we not? Matthew 8. Matthew 8, starting in verse 6. 
starting in verse 5. Sorry about that. Now, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. He simply believed. That's all he did. He didn't accomplish anything great. He didn't, he didn't do, there wasn't any huge success story. All he did was believe. We have a couple of biblical examples of people who just believe. And sometimes we get so, man, I got to do this and that, and I got to be so holy and super spiritual, and I got to memorize all this scripture. Those are all good things. But you know what you can start doing? Just believe. You know, God loves people who believe. God loves people who believe. And there's all kinds of definitions of faith out there. You want a great definition of faith? When God tells you something, you believe it. When God tells you something, you believe it. Can you get to any higher level of faith than that? When God tells you something, simply believe it. The third thing you can take charge of that leads to the power of believing is your response. We can control how we respond. I get it. We can't control our situations. We can't control many of our circumstances, but we can control how we respond. Our response leads to, the, to results in believing in God. And I'm telling you, I, I'm just like, I'm, I don't know what the word is, but when we believe in God, things happen. When you believe in God, you will see results. You will. There are results when we believe in God. Luke chapter 15. This is the story of the prodigal son. 1511, then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all there, there arose a severe famine in the land and began in want. 
Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The story of the prodigal son is an interesting story. And I think many times we walk down the same path as he did. We walk down a path of life, we have a circumstance in life, and we can choose one or two ways. We can choose the way of God or the way of the world, which is usually the right thing to do, or we sin. We either believe in God or we believe in the lies of Satan. Now, even when I say that, that sounds a ridiculous thing too, right? Because you're saying, well, certainly I would believe God every single time. But many times we don't. And why don't we? We don't because the devil is actually really, really good at what he does. He's the master deceiver. He will get in your mind at any time he can. He's a master at crafting a story that you will believe that thinks that you can do things in a certain way outside of the framework of Jesus Christ. And here's what happens. We're going to believe in God. We're going to believe in Christ one way or another. We're either obedient and we believe him and we live a life of peace and tranquility and freedom, or we're going to choose a life of sin, and sin, no matter how glamorous it looks, leads to destruction and death and shame and guilt. And we will go down that road and eventually we'll figure it out and we'll come back to the fact that God was right. So we're going to believe one way or another, just like the prodigal son did. The choices are, are before us. We control. It's like John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to st- steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. That one verse, both of those things are true. Both of those things are true. And you can actually have whichever one you want. See, we control our response to the things that happen in our life. And I believe the story of the prodigal son, it's a, it's a gentle warning, so to speak, to all of us. And I think many times that we have, the prodigal son probably had a lot of questions, and we probably have those same questions. Questions like, is a life of obedience to God really all it's cracked up to be? Does God really know what's best for me? Am I missing out on things if I'm always following Christ? These are probably the same questions we ask ourselves. 
And you might be surprised that even as I stand up here preaching God's word, I would tell you that those questions are legitimate questions. They're very legitimate questions. But they're legitimate questions that you have to answer for your own life. Nobody can answer those questions for you. You have to answer those questions for yourself. And what's interesting, I believe, about the prodigal son and the story of the prodigal son, that's what it's known by, the story of the lost son, the prodigal son. But to me, it's really a story. It's really a story about a loving father. If you read that entire story again, it talks about the father and the loving, compassionate father more than the prodigal son. So the response, God's response is always the same. It's a response of love and compassion and redemption. It's our response that he's waiting for. Picking the story back up in verse 20, it says, and he arose, this is the the son again, and he arose and came to his father. But he was still a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This phrase, a great way off, back then, it would would signify that the father was not waiting at home for his son. He was not just waiting for him to come back. He got up every morning went to the far country, probably got up on a mountaintop or a cliff where he could see the, the, the entire horizon. And when the sun started coming back, he ran after him and kissed him and hugged him, which for a man of that day, out of the ordinary. But that's just like the loving God that we serve, compassionate, forgiving, Boy, there, there, is, there is more to this life for many of us if we only had the power of believing, the power of having faith, a real faith, knowing that God is always on my side, that God is always working behind the scenes, that God always knows what's best for me and my life. We need to take the limits off. We need to get get excited about living. We need to have an expectation of God and who he is. We need to live stirred up. Stirred up. You know, sometimes if you have like, you know, sugar in your coffee or sugar in a drink or whatever... You know, if you don't drink it for a while, all the stuff gets at the bottom. And you have to stir it back up again to have its real flavor. Sometimes that's the same with our life. We just go day to day and we fall into these ruts and we, we it's, it's not a big deal, but we, we, we don't believe here, we don't believe there, our faith wanes here, our faith drops there, and we don't even realize it. Every once in a while, you have to get stirred back up again. 
You have to get invigorated. You have to get refreshed. You have to build your faith. We are in control. Sometimes we think stuff just happens to us, and and stuff doesn't just happen to us. There's There's a strategy to this life. Hey, God, God has a plan. God, God created the world on purpose. It wasn't just this big bang theory. God created the world on purpose. God created you on purpose. God created you for a purpose. Now, if we can understand that, man, that gives me the power to believe that God is on my side. That gives me the power to have faith that I serve an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God who loves me and chooses me every time. God has a plan for our life, but it's our responsibility to meet him there. He's always there. Just like the prodigal son. Jesus isn't just waiting up in heaven for us. Huh, I wonder what Mike's going to do today. No, his eyes are locked on me. He's waiting for me to respond so that he can have an encounter with me that will change my life. And too many times we limit ourselves with the mediocrity of just going day by day by day. And I know what maybe some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking that, you know what? You kind of said some stupid stuff up there. But I did get something out of it. But it's too late for me. Man, I should have made the decision to believe and have faith five years ago, ten years ago. 20 years ago, 40 years ago. It's never too late. It's never too late. You might be right. You might be right. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, you should have made the decision then to have faith. I'll give you that. That that should have been the best time. But you have to meet me halfway on that then. Whereas then, the next best time is right now. The next best time in your life to have the power of belief and to believe in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is right now. Right now. I was listening to a podcast the other day and the question was, this guy asked the question, what do you most understand about life? What a great question. What do you most understand about life? And I stopped the podcast and I thought about that. And I was like, you know what? Boy, I I would really like to answer that question and say, the most I understand about life is what's in this Bible. 
and what God's telling me. But honestly, I, I, I couldn't answer it that way. Because I haven't figured out exactly what God's telling me. I haven't figured out all of the promises in this book. That's a lifelong journey. We're always going to be doing it. You're never going to, you can read this Bible a thousand times and then the next time you're in, something new is going to stick out. But that question, what do you understand the most about life? After I had that thought, here, here's what came to my mind. Here's what me personally, what I understand the most about life is the frailty of life. If that's even a word. The frailty of life. Knowing that at any time, that any time, this life that God's blessed me with can be taken away. At any moment. Hey, I'm a young man with lots of things to do. Lots of things to accomplish. But I'm not necessarily guaranteed tomorrow, much less 40 years from now. So then that leads me to my next question. When I talk about things about belief or faith, if I understand the frailty of life, then what am I waiting for? And I would ask you that same question. What are you waiting for in your life to really believe? You think you got it all figured out so you don't have to believe? That, that's hogwash. What are you really waiting for? To have a level of faith that, man, that this book, this book and his promises come alive. For my life. And I don't know about you, and I think most of you would be with me that we want to have an encounter with Christ. We want to be able to live and say, Boy, I have the power of believing in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that He's a real person in my life and He affects my walk day by day by day. And it all starts with the power of believing. And the power of having faith in a God that chooses you every time. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet as we stand.